0: Thank you very much. So I'm going to be speaking on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you noticed in the news recently that the president of the United States visited Ireland as well as the UK. It's interesting that he wanted to visit places his ancestors lived in as well as meeting distant relatives and that's a photo of him there meeting them. He obviously felt a loyalty, a connection to that nation. I have a passport that tells me that I am a citizen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. As a result of that, I tend to take an interest in the country of which I'm a citizen. And I feel many things about our nation. One of the things, I sometimes feel sorrow about things that tarnish the nation. For example, the explosion of Violent knife crime, where young people's lives are ended with all the grief that that causes family and friends. Some terrible statistics, for example, in 12 months from 21 to 22, 99 young people aged under 25 in England and Wales lost their lives because of knife crime. 13 were aged under 16. It's tragic. And I feel sorrow about those things as a citizen of our country. But I also rejoice at some of the good things that I hear as well. For example, a boy who slept in his garden for three years to help raise money for a North Devon hospice. He was 10 years old when he started, and he wanted to raise 100 pounds for the hospice. He ended up sleeping in his garden in a tent for three years and raised 900,000 pounds. Yeah, does anybody happen to know his name? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Anybody happen to know his name? Oh, well, I'll, I might tell you later. Anyway, um, I feel an allegiance to the nation with which I belong. I expect I'll be watching the King's coronation in next week. We're also blessed here at King's to have people from many nations. We did a survey a few years ago, and I was amazed at uh, how many people had come from different nations. We've had people come from... Argentina to the Philippines, from South Africa to Finland, from Canada to New Zealand, and many nations in between. And it may be that you feel a particular allegiance to another country, perhaps where you grew up or where you still have relatives. As I said, I have a passport that tells me that I'm a citizen of the UK, but I have something else that is written, except it's written in my heart. It's written by the Holy Spirit and tells me that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in fact, this citizenship takes precedence over my citizenship to the UK. In fact, I think that uh, my allegiance to the kingdom of God in fact makes me a better citizen for the country in which I live. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 1 verse 13 of God, it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're part already of the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom anyway? Well, the kingdom is basically the rule of God. The kingdom of God is often referred to as the kingdom of heaven. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we're doing is we're asking for the reign of Christ to be evident on earth, for the rule of Christ to be revealed on earth as it is in heaven. And let's face it, who wouldn't want to live in heaven? Who wouldn't like to see a touch of heaven on earth? So that's what we're praying when we're praying for the kingdom to come. Now, I want to just talk about a few films that I've seen now. There's a reason for it. Uh, some of the most memorable films that I have seen are what are called epics. Usually epics are set against a big historical background or a big story of some kind. And some of the more memorable ones for me that I've seen and are the ones that are displayed here. And so one of them is called Gone with the Wind, and that is set against the big story of the American Civil War. And Ben-Hur is set against the backdrop of the Roman Empire at the time of Christ is set in Israel. Dr. Shivago, which just happens to be one of my favorite films, so I'll promote it for you this morning, uh, is set against the backdrop of the Russian Revolution. And of course, Lord of the Rings, a more recent one, is set against the background of the conflict, the big story of the conflict between good and evil. These films are what's called epics on a grand scale. The thing is this, the kingdom of God is an even bigger and greater epic. It's on an epic scale because it affects the whole cosmos. God's plan is for the eventual transformation of not just the earth, but the whole creation. The Apostle Paul tells us that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So the coming of the kingdom of God is epic in its scale it's cosmic now those films that I showed you there they're set against big backgrounds but one of the things that makes an epic film so captivating is the story of the individuals in them so for example if you watch Gone with the Wind it's personal as well that epic to do with Scarlet and Brett and Rhett Judah Ben-Hur and Esther are the stars in Ben-Hur in Dr. Shivago it's Yuri and Lara. In Lord of the Rings, it's Frodo Baggins and Sam Gamgee. The point is that the kingdom of God is both epic and personal. Like those films, they're epic in proportion, but they're also personal. The kingdom of God is epic and personal. And God calls you and me to be part of his cosmic epic. You and me who often perhaps don't feel up to the task, rather like the hobbits in Lord of the Rings. And you may think at particular times, because I know I have, that you're not particularly significant. Yes, God's got a cosmic plan, but as for me, well, I'm not sure I actually have got anything valuable to contribute into that. Maybe you don't feel as clever as others. You dismiss yourself on that for that reason or Or as well off as others, or maybe you don't feel part of the in-crowd. Or perhaps you had a bad start in life. Or maybe you've suffered at the hands of others. And all these things can weigh upon us and make us feel as if we're not very significant, we're not very important. It doesn't really I don't really have much of an impact. I'm not one of the big movers and shakers in the church. I'm just little old me sitting in my corner. And and that's what we sometimes feel about ourselves, that we're not as important, that we don't have much to contribute. But Jesus said this, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So what I want to tell you this morning, one of the things is this, God rejoices to include you in his cosmic plan. The thing about the kingdom as well is this, that it's both now and not yet. We see and experience some of the coming of the kingdom of God now. We see it, for example, as people give their lives to Christ and that's a wonderful thing. Jesus said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that's a sign of the coming of the kingdom. It's a sign of heaven breaking out Unto earth. That's one of the signs that we see of the coming of the kingdom. One of the other ones we see is the gifts of the spirit that are being used. We see healings occur as the kingdom breaks out. We see gifts of the spirit being used. We experience the presence of God at times, particularly when we meet together. And you may have experienced a sense of God's presence as we even as we worshiped together. There's that sense of the coming of the kingdom. It's now. But also, it's not yet. We experience His love in our hearts. We experience His joy and peace at times. We may even experience some improvements in society as Christians. In the past, significant Christians like John Wesley, who's gone around preaching the gospel in the UK, has influenced politicians of his day. And that's affected some of the policies of the government. So we can see that. But the kingdom is not yet fully... It is now but not yet there's more to come as God seeks to unfold his cosmic plan but we continue to seek to pray to pray and seek to introduce people to the God who loves them to bring the kingdom in that they may see that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that their destiny could be changed and that's why we're doing things like blessed adventures that's why we're doing things like bless that's why we're doing things like king's table We want to see people locked in addiction being released. We want to see them come into the kingdom of God. That's why we do Azalea, which is a a ministry to those who are caught up in sexual exploitation. We want to see them come into the kingdom of God, don't we? That's why we do Christians Against Poverty. We want to see people released from that bondage that they're in, of debt, and we want to see them released into the glory of the kingdom of God. We want to see... uh, even teaching, English and other things that we do, other projects that we have on the go at King's, why are we doing them? We're doing them because we want to see people coming into the kingdom of God. We want to see a touch of heaven come to earth. And let's face it, who doesn't want to be involved in that? Do you want to see a touch of heaven come to earth? I mean, come on. I would love to see a touch of heaven come to earth. And that's what Jesus is asking us to pray, or telling us to pray. The thing about the kingdom, though, is this. It's an upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom. Jesus said this, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. The battle against evil is not fought with guns and tanks. The battle against evil is fought with other weapons, not the weapons of this world, the Apostle Paul tells us. The values of the kingdom are different from the values of this world. Here are some examples of that. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. So that's countercultural. Give and then it will be given to you, Jesus says. Lose to gain. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Die to live. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's countercultural. Die to live? What are you talking about there? Be humble to be exalted. For all those who exalt themselves, Jesus said, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. Be last to be first. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. If you want to be great, Jesus says, then what do you have to do? You have to serve. You have to be a servant of all if you want to be great. It's an upside-down kingdom where the ruler of the kingdom lived out all these values, even dying on a cross. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. The thing is this. It seems to me to be a very high bar that Jesus has set, a bit like there's the pole vault barrier up there and I've got a little stick, and I've got to leap over it. His standards seem so high, they seem to me sometimes impossible to achieve. Lose to gain, die to live, give to get, be humble to be exalted. These are very high standards that Jesus has set. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use it. Now, who can do that? Doing the will of God, the thing is this. Because it's an upside-down kingdom, it doesn't come naturally. In the film, to go back to films of Apollo 13, in fact, it's based on the flight that the astronauts took to the moon. They were going to go to the moon, they were going to land on the moon, and do what they do on the moon. But on the journey, there was an electrical short circuit, as they flicked a switch, and it blew up an oxygen tank. And the oxygen tank exploded, and the oxygen got vented into space. And it sent the spacecraft into a tumble out of control. Obviously, a very dangerous situation, particularly when you're 180,000 miles from Earth and there's no AA to call on. In the film of that expedition, Tom Hanks gets in touch with mission control in Houston and says this. Houston, we have a problem. Well, we could use that for us as well. Earth we have a problem. When we see what God's standards are to see His kingdom come for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and we see what the standards are like, we kind of can wilt and think, wow, I could n- maybe I could do one of those you know, occasionally. Maybe I could die to self once, perhaps, on a very good day. But to live like that, wow, no way. I couldn't do that. Earth, we have a problem. What is the problem? Well, to understand what the problem is, we have to go back to the creation of man and woman and the Garden of Eden, where God had made the most sublime, beautiful, wonderful, joyful earth. And two people originally, who he gave dominion over everything, and he said, right, it's all for you. Go and have fun. Go and enjoy it. Have dominion over everything. There's just one thing you mustn't do. Just only one. And that's eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you understand? Yeah, we understand. You sure you got that? Yes, we understand. Okay, repeat back to me what I told you. Oh, you said go and have fun and enjoy everything. But whatever you do, don't eat from that tree. Because on the day you eat, you will die. So what do they decide to do? They decide to just do what they want. We're not going to do what you want, oh God. We're going to do what we want. And that is the problem of the human race. The problem of the human race is this. We don't want your will. We want our will. Not your will be done, but our will be done. My will be done. But the problem is, look at the mess that God is into. It's as if we're in a locked dungeon where there is no light and all the, the, the walls are solid. There's no door in. There's no door out. It's dark. But the thing is, we don't even know it. We think we're enjoying freedom in there. And then the Holy Spirit comes and reveals the reality of the situation that we're in. And suddenly, the lights come on in our heart. And we realize, actually, we're in a dark, deep, locked dungeon. And there's no way out. And then what does the Lord do? He shows us that there's a door. There is a door in that dungeon. And that door is Christ the Lord. Wow, and he comes and he sacrifices his life in order for there to be a door in that deep, dark dungeon so that we can experience new life. Jesus said this, you must be born again. It's no good just thinking, I'll turn over a new leaf. It's no good just thinking, I'll keep my New Year resolution. It's no good thinking, I'm going to aim to be a better person. Because sin is inbuilt within us. We need more than that. And I'm not saying let's not make those kind of things. But that's not enough. You must be born again. It's not if you feel like it. If you think it might be nice to come to church every now and again. You know, people are nice there. I get a free coffee. I meet my friends. I can have a chill time. I don't have any responsibility. You know, I like it. No, you must be born again. You must be born again. And the reason is that is this. That unless, there's no way we're going to make those standards. Unless there's a deep, profound change in our innermost being. And that comes as the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. Because it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the glory of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals what the state that we're really in. Miserable rebellious. He reveals that. He revealed it to me. And I realize actually the way out is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we don't naturally want to do what God wants. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all to be born again we need to acknowledge the state of our heart and we need to say to the Lord I acknowledge that I realize and I want to turn away from it and I want to turn to you the Bible calls that repentance and then we have to ask Jesus Jesus you be Lord and Savior in my life and when we do that we are born again and a new power comes into our life the power of the Holy Spirit And throughout our life, we're seeking to work all that out. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is the will of God? Jesus tells us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if you've had any of the thoughts that I've had about the will of God. Here are a few that I've had. One, God's will can't be what I want. Two, God's will means doing what I don't like. Three, God's will means there'll be no fun. In fact, God's out to spoil our fun. Four, God's will is generally difficult and unpleasant. I wonder if you've ever had thoughts like that, or is it just me? I think what it is, it's to do with seeing who God is. Our image of what God the Father is like will affect our desire to do what he wants. If I perceive God as some hard taskmaster in the sky, that will affect how I see doing his will. But if I see him as a loving heavenly father who when I turn to him, he runs to me and wraps his arms around me and says, I love you, you're mine. And I desire to spend eternity with you and you with me. And as we see Jesus as well, sacrificing his precious life on the cross and shedding his precious blood, that's the God we love. That's the God that we worship. That's the God who says, do my will. Do my will. Do you think, the Lord would ask us, do you think I want the best for you? Do you think I have your best interests at heart? Do we think that? Or do we think that God is out to frustrate us in many ways? He wants to see if we'll trip up. And then he's got us. No, God wants the best for you and me. He wants the best for planet Earth. And that's why Jesus says, pray, your will be done on Earth as it is in heaven. The thing is, this takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did. I wish I could say to you this morning, I do the will of God 100%. I'm always doing the will of God. I do it from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. I wish I could say that to you, but in all honesty, I don't. I'm a work in progress. And I guess, without having to have too much of a leap of faith, that you are also a work in progress. And the Apostle Paul tells us this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul there talks about renewing our mind renewing our mind so i've already talked about renewing our mind when we think about who god is and what he's like renew our mind he's not some hard taskmaster in the sky waiting to see you trip up no he's your loving heavenly father who loves you dearly and he sent his beloved son to sacrifice his life for you and that's part of what it means to renew our mind renew our thinking sometimes we feel as well how do i know what the will of god is well, there are many ways we can know the will of God. In fact, it's very clear, often, I would say, in this book, the Bible, the will of God. For example, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's clear. That's the will of God. Jesus said, be uh, the Apostle Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Again, that's clear. Be filled with the Spirit, O people of God. Because we need the Holy Spirit in order to do the will of God. The other day, I was uh, house-sitting for my daughter. as She was having one of these smart meters uh, installed, and she had to work. So I, was, I thought, oh, great, I'll have some time on my own. I can work on the sermon. So I took my laptop, and I was beavering away, and the man came to do the meter. And he was a little bit late. He said, I'm sorry I'm late. It was the traffic, bloody, bloody. <clears throat> and I said, that's no problem. And then I went and sat down and got to work on the laptop beavering away thinking yeah well that's helpful I've got some time some space and then after a few minutes I just felt a little nudge you didn't offer him a drink and I thought yeah I didn't uh, and I thought but yeah I'm beavering away I thought well I might get somewhere with this so beavering away again and then a few minutes later another little nudge you didn't offer him a drink and I realized that was the Holy Spirit here am I, me. here am I typing away about doing the will of God and the Holy Spirit's giving me a nudge So I went out to him, this gentleman, and I said to him, would you like a drink, tea or coffee? And he said, I'd love one. He was like a man who'd just come out of the desert. And so these nudges from the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, the apostle tells us. And fellowship is so important. I'm glad that you're here today. It's great to have you here. Praise God. I'm glad that you don't see this as an optional extra you don't see it as just an add-on or icing on the cake, as it were. Praise God. I hope you, you see it as an essential part of what it means to develop your Christian life and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We also, of course, know the importance of prayer. Terry Virgo came and spoke on that recently and how prayer is something. And again, it's great when we can do that together. It's so inspiring when you hear others praying and so on. And again, that renews our mind. And then doing the will of God doesn't seem like, oh, do I really have to do that? But it then becomes something that we want to do. And we can often think that discovering the will of God is for the big decisions of life. Where am I going to live? Who shall I marry? What university shall I go to? And so on. But actually, and we can agonize over them. In my experience, God is so gracious and so kind that he often gives us choices. So whether I go to Bournemouth University or Exeter or Nottingham, or God says, it's up to you, you choose. But anyway, that's a, that's a little aside there. Here's an excellent and very helpful book in terms of the will of God. It's called, called The Will of God as a Way of Life by Gerald Sitzer. An excellent book if you want to delve further into discovering the will of God. Right, just to finish, I showed you a picture at the beginning. Here's another one of that lad who raised money for his local hospice by sleeping in his garden for three years is there anybody up there now If they gone is he gone oh no hello okay Joshua's still there okay okay Joshua thank you can I have the next one as well please fantastic well done uh, I should yeah here's a picture of that boy uh, who slept in his garden for three years his name's Max Woozy, as it happens what you might not know as well is that Max was in, has been invited to the king's coronation yeah wow indeed what an honour Well, you and I have also been invited by a king. Not just any king, but the king of kings. But our invitation is to be involved in Christ's cosmic plan to see God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I say this to you, dear friends? Don't dismiss yourself. Don't feel that what you can contribute is of no significance. That's not true. Don't feel it's beyond you. The Lord is looking for our willingness. So let me ask you a final question. Are you willing?